Stevens Road Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find our weekly teaching and more as we try to equip you to live out your faith everywhere and always. So I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about leaders today. So we've been going through some big Bible moments. We we've been wanting to shed some light on some. Um, some important narratives that in particular show up in the Old Testament that help us understand the message and mission of, of Christ. We, we talked about creation. We looked at, um, we looked at, at the call of Moses and, and God entering into history to, uh, to save his, his people, the Israelites. And, and now we want to talk about, um, now we want to talk about calling leaders. And we could have talked about this earlier. We, we could have talked about God calling Abraham. It's, it's just as easy to talk about God calling a leader in, uh, in, in Moses. And, and I'm obviously being indecisive because I, I have both Samuel 3 here and 16. It's, it's the, the beginnings of the story of, of Samuel, the prophet, the final judge. It's the call of, of King David, the, uh, the second, but but probably the most successful king in, in Israel with, with some debate there. There's a whole book of judges that we could have been talking about, about God calling leaders during troubled times. I'm not going to read all of 1 Samuel 3 and all of 1 Samuel 16, because that would take, um, that would take too long. And, uh, and I think we'll get a good sampling just by, by looking at it. <clears throat> Let's start at the beginning with uh, 1 Samuel 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak they could barely see, was lying down in his usual place that the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. And he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Let's turn to chapter 16 now. I'm going to begin Let's begin um, let's begin at verse 10, shall we? Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, Samuel all grown up now. But Samuel said to them, The Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all of the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy and fine in appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers 
And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel went to Ramah. So the Word of God. Thanks be to God. I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of our pancake breakfast as we were just talking, and I was, I was thinking uh, last year. So last year was the first time that I got to participate uh, I got to, uh, to play wingman to, to Liam in making, uh, in making pancakes, or he was mine, I don't know, but we were, we were making pancakes together. And, and it's, it's always fun trying to balance when you have multiple leaders in one space. For example, this, this might not surprise you, but, but I have, in fact, made pancakes before. And uh, I had some experience with it. Uh, but Aaron <laughs> was less confident in my abilities. <laughs> and she popped in from time to time to give helpful tips and hints on quantity of, of uh, batter and along. It was, it was good. I learned a lot that day. Ariella, our daughter, is, uh, <clears throat> is as far as I can tell, at, at the age of six, almost seven, uh, an absolute natural leader. She exudes confidence. The, the struggle or the lesson that we try to navigate at home is what is the difference between being a good, strong, natural leader, which we want her to have for, for her whole life, versus being aggressive and mean and trying to force people to do things that you don't want to do. She navigates that fairly well most of the time. But I've got a stern talking to from her a couple of times. <laughs> we need leaders. A few years ago, uh, my family really needed a leader to step in, and it was helpful. It's, it's a longer story than I can really get into right now. But, but it, was a, it was an intensely stressful time, and it, and it had been building for a few weeks Megan was deciding what she wanted to do with a, with a job that she had. She'd been unhappy there for, for well over a year. She had talked to her employer and, and had decided that she would, she would leave, that, that this just wasn't working. And they had said they could do better and that we would make this work. We fast forward by a few weeks. She was called in uh, unceremoniously at the end of a Friday and said, don't come back Monday. It surprised us. There were a lot of things that we had figured out weeks earlier that, that were no longer in play anymore. It, it suddenly ratcheted up our, our stress levels. and We weren't quite sure how to do a few things. Our childcare wasn't arranged anymore. Our, our schooling wasn't quite arranged anymore. Uh, we, we had to leave so quickly that there were things that had been left in our office that we tried to have, had to figure out how to get back. But the biggest part that was throwing us off was there was a major dispute between Megan and her former employer on who owned the computer that she had been using for the last six or seven years. It had always been hers. We had always been under the impression that it was given to her to hold on to. It had family photos and banking information. It was, it was hers, but it might have been theirs. We went back and forth and... And as our, again, as our temperature rose and as their temperature rose, there was a strong suggestion that perhaps we had stolen the computer. And I'd never been on the receiving end of a, of a threat to call 
uh, police before. And I'll admit that I didn't know that, how unlikely that really was because everything else was chaotic. I, I had that moment where I was imagining the RCMP kicking in my door and dragging me and the computer away. And that was all I could think. I was just locked in this spiral of, I don't know what to do now. And I cracked. And Megan cracked. And I remember sitting in my kitchen going, I don't know how tomorrow works. I don't know how the rest of this afternoon works. I couldn't think of what to do. Now, thankfully, a good friend of ours, Megan's best friend and now current business partner, her name is Adele, she, as a leader often does, stepped in. She popped in, reminded us that things would be okay, outlined some pretty easy steps that now that my stress levels are not up to here are obviously what we would do. She left, took Megan, sorted out the computer, moved files around, came home, And by Monday, everything that I was sure was going to ruin my life forever was settled. It was done, and we moved on. We needed a leader. A mixture of anger, fear, and worry paralyzed us. It was a time of trouble, and we needed someone to step in. I mean, comfort is good. We need people when we are in the depths of uncertainty to come in and say, things will be all right because you're going to do X, Y, Z. And in times of trouble, leaders always, always rise. But here's an important notice, that it's not always good leaders that rise. They may always be effective, but they wouldn't be what we would call moral. They wouldn't be what we would call good. After World War I, the czars of Russia were in disarray. The country was facing enormous scandal, famines, bankruptcies, incredible criticism. And that's when Lenin stepped forward. And then after him, Stalin. Leaders stepped forward, not in what we would call a positive way. In that same vein, in World War II, Winston Churchill stepped forward. In a, in a faithful setting, Diedrich Bonhoeffer stepped forward and showed us how a Christian in Germany should behave. It cost him his life, but we have his teachings for the benefit of him. But again, World War I left the condition of Germany terrible, and it allowed a leader to rise in Hitler. He was successful. He was a leader of a country. He was a monstrous dictator. And he took the country in the most dark direction that we could think. But he led. And people followed. You see, we were looking at two moments here biblically where God needed leaders. But not any leader. Not any person with a vision and a level of authority would do. He needed godly-centered leaders. Samuel takes place after the book of Judges, which I've already referenced. And the book of Judges, if you don't know, is, is really some of the darkest history that we read in Scripture. It, it ends after Moses's, uh, it ends before Moses' leadership. It had, it had come, Moses had led his people, and it was hard, and it was frustrating, and, um, and there were high moments, and there were low moments, but Moses led. 
And after Moses, Joshua stepped in, Moses' protege, who he had been working with and, and had been leading alongside Moses. And he led the people into the promised land, and um, the people began to get settled. And then came the judges. And the judges were, well, they were a mess. The period of time was a mess. The people ebbed and flowed back and forth into faithful service of God. Leaders would rise, but, but things didn't get better. The immediate problem might have got fixed, but, but the people remained mostly the same. It, it never lasted longer than a, than a generation. Samuel, or sorry, Judges, ends with this line. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Things were a mess, and it was time to sort them out. That's where Samuel came in. And Samuel really is a surprise, because when the book of Judges ends, there was no king in Israel, and you turn the page, the next thing you would rightly expect to discover is a king in Israel, that God then moves to call forward a king, but he doesn't. He calls forward Samuel. Now, every now and again, I find myself uh, through a course or a learning opportunity, and, and someone will uh, slide a, a personality test my way. I'm never sure totally what to make of these, um, but, but I do them, and, and they're relatively consistent. So however I answer and whatever they measure comes out more or less the same every time. And one of the things that tends to be measured is, is your, your personality profile and whether you are a, an introvert or an extrovert. And I, I am what you would call a social introvert. What that means is I love people. I love talking with people. I love getting to know people. I love meeting new people. I am comfortable on platforms and in groups and in parties and, and alone um, or with small groups. I love it. But all of those things require mental and emotional energy. So I need to get it back by spending time alone. And because of that, I find it important to have uninterrupted alone time throughout the week. And you will notice, if I have gone for a period of time without that happening, that you will walk away from a conversation with me and go, something was a little off that day. I don't, I mean, I don't know what it was, but, but it wasn't quite the same. That's probably why. And having said all of that, I have a confession that I would like to make. There are times when I'm, I'm on the bus, or I'm in the gym, or I'm at the grocery store, uh, and I will wear headphones regardless of whether I am listening to anything. I just have them in my ears because I'm at that space where I just I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. And, and headphones say, don't talk to me, that I'm, I'm listening to something else or I'm engaging in something else. Now, buried in that line of thought, I suppose, is the thought that I... I am assuming that there's strangers out there that want to talk to me, and perhaps that's not true. This passage in Samuel starts in an interesting way. It says, the word of the Lord was rare, and there weren't many visions. 
At this period in time, God seemed silent. He seemed like he wasn't interested in talking to anyone, that he wasn't interested in communicating with anyone, that the people were left to their own devices. But I, I hope you don't think that that's true now. And I don't think it was especially true then. But I hope you don't want to imagine that God doesn't want to speak to you. See, that was Samuel's struggle. He was lying there in the temple. He had been serving God his entire life. And I mean that as literally as I can. His, his mother, Hannah, dedicated him from the time he was an infant, from the time that he had been weaned. He was given to the temple to serve um, the priestly family. He had been living there and serving there from the moment he could leave his mother successfully. He had been serving God his entire life, but he was unfamiliar with God's voice addressing him, calling him into something deeper because there was an understanding that God wasn't really talking at the moment. Why listen if no one's speaking? God, or Samuel heard a voice and sought out the most natural person in Eli. And Eli, as the chief priest, it took him multiple interruptions that night before he clued in that God was speaking. The word of the Lord was rare. But God calls you. God calls us now today. He is asking us, seeking us, and wishing to speak with us. Let me ask you, do you have those metaphoric headphones in right now? We are saying, I am simply too busy to hear a word from God. I have a life to live. I have bills to pay. I have, I have appointments to be at. I have children or grandchildren that need me. I have activities of the church going on. Are we so busy or so sure that God wouldn't speak to, to me or to you that we are not even listening? Those times where we've heard or felt a nudge and have shaken it off because isn't now today the word of the Lord rare? I don't think so. Do you hear that God calls you now to be a leader? He still speaks. Let me jump into David's story a little. Jesse had seven sons passed before Samuel. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen any of these. I love politics. Politics is such an odd thing, though. I... I mean, it's, it's, it's quirky in the sense that we all know, we all know that there are communities in our province and in our country that election after election after election after election will remain the same. They just, they just do. They just do, except for when they don't. And that's when quirky things happen. In 2011, Quebec went weird in the sense that they decided to go NDP. And no one saw it coming. And, and political parties know this. They know the difference between a riding that they need to be in because if they're not in all of them, they're not really a, 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 a national party, that they have to be everywhere. So they, they do what you and I would do. 
they, they find somebody who is good and willing and kind, and they just plunk their name there because they want a little experience in politics. And that's what they did in Quebec. They just plunked people's names in writings they absolutely were never going to win because, of course, they wouldn't. They've never, ever won there before, except they did. One, one person stands out. She went in 2011. She was 27 at the time. She'd never actually been in the riding. She didn't campaign. She was in Las Vegas when she won. She had no expectation. The best part about her is, is she won again in 2015. So when all of that washed away, she was still there. She was still there because, oh, and she was still there, and she had won better than she did the first time. She won 10,000 votes above and beyond the next closest contender. She was hardworking. She met people every day. She learned French because she didn't know how to speak French in an entirely Francophone community. But she learned it. By trade, she was a bartender. She learned to listen to people. She developed a view from the streets but she was discounted by everyone else until she won the second time. The story of David is incredible, and there is so much there that we could be drawing out so much. And one of the passages that we so often quote is that, that, that don't be deceived by the outside. Don't, don't worry about what you see on the outside that God sees and, and, uh, and considers the heart. And it's an important lesson. See, Samuel went to Jesse and he said, bring me all of your sons, please, before we celebrate. The Lord wants to anoint one of them. Bring them all to me. Jesse had eight sons. The instruction from the prophet, the judge, the most senior official in Israel, shy of King Saul himself, give me all of your sons. And Jesse rounded up, almost all of his sons. He discounted David because why David? He was busy in the field. He, he was probably, it would, have, it would have taken some time to go get him, but he was the youngest. If, he was go, if God was going to call anyone, surely it would be the top, at least the top three sons. And they weren't going to get all the way down to number eight. He was discounted before he ever showed up. Before the... Uh, before he even got to be considered by Samuel, he was sidelined and assumed he couldn't possibly be him. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life, but I suspect you have. Before you've ever shown up, before you've volunteered, before you've made a step forward, before you have done anything in the way of showing your skills, your abilities, before you have served God in the way that God is calling you, somebody accidentally or deliberately sidelined you. Said it can't possibly be them. Maybe you've done it to yourself. You said it can't possibly be me. I, I don't have the skill set. I don't have the experience. I don't have the training. It can't be me. It has to be one of the seven or eight people that are better than me are farther in the line than I am. Surely it's one of them. Jesse was judging by what he saw. And I am sure Jesse, as a, as a father of that era, loved and cared for his son. 
He just had seven seemingly better sons or, or more mature or, or more physically able or, or whatever it was. But it is so easy for us to use our eyes to quickly assess things. We can slot people into the too old category or the too young category. Too poor, too rich. Maybe the race isn't quite right. Gender can get tricky. Maybe they speak too roughly. The list can go on and on and on. Before we even give a person an opportunity, they can be sidelined. But one of the most consistent things that we read every time, it is God that is doing the direct choosing. He chooses people we would never pick. He plucked out David. He plucked out Samuel. He plucked out Samson for leadership. He plucked out the disciples. They're not the resumes we would have picked. There's a, there's a plaque that had been on my, uh, that had been on my parents' uh, wall when I was growing up. It was one of those Bible verses that I remembered because it was, it was, it was always on the wall. And uh, it was from Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It was a King James, uh, a King James kind of plaque. And, and I, I, I quoted it all the time. Every time I was nervous, every time I was afraid, every time I didn't know what was going to happen next, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I, I prayed it more often in the dentist chair than anywhere else. <laughs> I can sit here. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. I remember the first time I came across it in Philippians and realized it had nothing to do with just getting through a rough moment. But it's one of those ones that stuck with me, and I'll still use it every now and again. It, it was like a mantra to me. I can do this because Christ gives me strength. It's one of those verses that make it to the walls a lot. There's another verse that I think about all the time that I don't know if I have ever seen hanging on anybody's wall, but it should be on all of ours. And it's tucked away uh, at the tail end of James. And it's this. Elijah was a human being, just like us, period, full stop. You don't even need the rest of it. Elijah, or James goes on to explain some more. He says, Elijah was a person just like we are, but he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain, and the heavens produced rain, and the earth gave crops. But the verse that should hang on every one of our walls is Elijah the prophet. Elijah, the guy that went toe-to-toe with uh, King Ahaz, went toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal, was a human being just like we are. No difference. No special DNA. No special parenthood, no, no significance beyond that God plucked him out and used him, and he desires to do the same with us. How many of us have spiritual heroes? There are people that we take a step back, look at, and say, wow, look at their prayer life. Wow, look at what they've written Wow, look at the way they can articulate their faith. Look at their family dynamics or, or whatever it is that makes you take a step back and raise them up on a pedestal and admire them. 
heroes, heroes are okay. But heroes tend to let us off the hook. Because heroes are something beyond us. Something better than us. Something that we can't quite aspire to. They're, they're more than just mere human beings. They're heroes. That's why whenever we have a spiritual hero stumble and fall, it, it hurts so much. Because we, we raise them up too high. We don't need spiritual heroes. We do need spiritual role models. People who are just like us, but are successfully serving Christ. Or have had a struggle that was just like us, but have learned to get along past him. In fact, that's what we read in, in Hebrews. It's a reminder that Christ was tempted and faced every struggle just like us but was without sin. You are leaders. Yesterday, we, a number of us gathered together for, uh, we had a leadership retreat. We, we wanted to go through some time of, of prayer and some reflection. We wanted to talk about who and what we wanted to be as a church. And one of the interesting threads that came out of that for me was how many people in the room said, I wasn't sure if I should be here because... Uh, I, you know, I'm not really a leader. And I took a step back and I thought, what do you mean you're not really leaders? If, if, if you are not leaders, who aren't? Leadership can be one of those things that we, we sometimes feel that it doesn't belong to us. See, if we miss this, if we miss God calling Samuel, if we miss God plucking David out of the field, if we don't see that God is calling leaders that we would have never expected, that we would have absolutely discounted, that God calls nobodies into leadership, if we miss that he isn't the external factors but the internal factors, it is so easy for us to say, but God isn't calling me. God doesn't need my leadership it doesn't need my abilities. And we're not part of the chosen few, that we're not the special. And it's true, we don't all get called to be the king of Israel. I assume that we won't all be called to the king of Israel. But we all are called, and we are all asked to lead. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Drug Baptist Church podcast. I hope what you listened to was helpful. If you enjoyed it, consider liking, subscribing, or sharing this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, or if you are in the Dartmouth, Nova Scotia area, we would love to see you some Sunday. Again, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.